We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Hey, Eli. Do you have people on this team that you feel like can be leaders in the absence of, of Abreu now that he's gone? Are there other people who can step up in his place? I don't know. Uh, like, I don't know. I don't have uh, the answer of that. Leadership, in my opinion, is uh, 10% given, 90% taken. And somebody's going to take it. Somebody's going to step up and, and, and lead this ball club, if not multiple guys. Uh, so we'll, we'll just wait and see. I'm not going to rush that process. That's Aloy Jimenez and Pedro Griffol. But leadership. And we know that in any organization, you've Eloy. got... Aloy. It's Eloy. It's Eloy, like the yeah. Morlocks and the Eloy. So HG Wells, the White Sox the time machine. I started. I, I started Eloy. saying Eloy again last year because the White Sox do this thing where they do a, a, a pronouncer. They have a phonetic all, guide. Yeah, they have all the players say their names, and he says Eloy. Okay, we'll see if we can find it so that everyone can be on the same page. So that was like Maglio or Maglio, and it's and it's Luis Robert, like. That's it. Junior. 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 Thank that's you. right. You got to put that Junior. Junior. Ju- you shut your mouth, Junior. You can't stand that he get out of the kitchen, Junior. Junior. So it's Eloy. Yeah. Okay. According to him. All right. Cool. And that's what I'll go with, right? Like, that's what you're supposed to go with until we meet Hi, Mom. And she tells us that it's something different. All the questions about the White Sox lead back to who's in charge? Who's in charge of hiring a manager? who's in charge of setting the overall direction of the organization, because we've never really known. They they spread everything out between Jerry Reinsdorf and Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn, and sometimes some people are responsible for some things, and other times other people are responsible for other things, and they speak in the passive voice, and they leak things to favored media members, and that's how we try to figure out what's going on. Well, it happened again now, on one level with Bob Nightingale, Writing a story is like, hey, you can't blame Tony. It's not Tony's fault. Well, there, there, there's Tony. He's there. That's the 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 part where I was just like, oh, there he is. Come on, man. Listen, let me just read you the first two paragraphs of Bob's piece. Phoenix, Arizona. Hello, Hall of Fame manager Tony Larusa was standing by the railing in Chicago White Sox chairman Jerry Reinsdorf's sweep. keeping score, jotting down notes, and acting as if little has changed. Huh? Larusa, 78, continues to battle serious health issues and undergoes weekly treatments, but has informed only his family and close friends of his exact condition. So, Dan, let me throw the question back at you. Who's running the White Sox? We don't know. What's he doing there? I guess when I read it, I was like, all right, look. He lives there. He's and you know my whole thing was I'm cool if Tony has on a polo. Like that was my whole thing. 
If Tony wants to wear a polo, fine. As long as he's not wearing a uniform anymore. So older guy, been going through some stuff. It's his close friend. He goes out to the ballpark, gets some sunshine. Like that's okay. the like like that's the best case scenario, right? Like this, he just wants to to feel like he's a part of something. It gives him something to to do, like all that stuff. Okay, but if that's the case, then why are they spinning this? Why are they selling this and pitching it to Nightingale and having Nightingale write a piece where it says he can no longer be blamed? Why bother trying to 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 resurrect and 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 clean everything up it here. literally dan didn't editorialize that it literally says in the in the piece he he can no longer be blamed like that it says that that's written yeah why why go through the effort to rehabilitate his image if he's not going to play a role i i don't know i and i part of the reason that i didn't because, I mean, I, I settled on Tony in a polo. But part of the reason that I didn't even want him in a polo is that I wanted Pedro Grafol to just have his thing. Yes, it's not fair to him. And then Joe Kelly says, nobody was taking accountability. It was easy for the fans to say it was Tony's fault. It was easy for the writers to say it was Tony's fault. It was easy for other teams from afar to say it was Tony. It didn't matter who was managing. We didn't play hard enough. We didn't focus enough. We embarrassed ourselves. Well, I think both happened. Correct. I think I think you didn't play hard enough, you didn't focus enough, and you embarrassed yourselves, and it did matter who was managing. The Kelly quotes are great. They're really great, and they're, they're the admissions from the White Sox that we were hoping to see. That, that they understood that they didn't do everything that they needed to do, and... They they get it. To go on with more of the quotes, I could have managed this, this from Joe Kelly. I could have managed the team, and we could have finished 500. Tony left, Miguel took over, and we still sucked. We played like crap. It was our fault from the get-go. It was our fault for not playing with such urgency. It was our fault for not holding each other accountable. It was too late when we decided to get going. We had a lot of guys get injured, but everyone gets injured. We kind of slow-played actual baseball. And once we got back into game speed, we played like we were still rehabbing as a unit. Close quote. I appreciate him saying that because he basically signed a contract that allowed for him to rehab in his first year with the White Sox. And that they were kind of expecting, well, he'll be fine when we make our push or we're getting towards the playoffs. But he wasn't fine. And even when he was fine, he wasn't good. So there's a lot there, but I'm glad that he's he's willing to say it. The concept of slow, slow playing actual baseball. Here's where blame can be placed. Who's supposed to be in charge who's of that? It, uh, uh, who's in charge? Who sets the tone? Whose job is it to change that? Here's Lance Lynn. Where Nightingale writes, it was clear to veterans like Lance Lynn, who played for Larusa in St. Louis, that Larusa was not himself most of the year. He had little energy. He needed daily naps. His voice was so soft, it was often hard to hear him. I love Tony to death, Lynn said, and you could tell he wasn't 100% of what he wanted to be. We knew Tony was going through a lot and tried to be there for him, but you know Tony wasn't going to let us know what was going on. He told us about the heart stuff, but there was more, way more stuff going on. He still won't tell anybody. Okay, so you ha- you didn't have a manager. 
Right. You didn't have a manager. So then there's the vacuum of leadership that everyone's trying to figure out with the White Sox who who was going to be the person that could lead. And there are plenty of candidates. Plenty. That guy who just, you quoted, candidate. And it seemed like once we got to the end of the year that Lance Lynn had kind of asserted himself as a guy to follow. What's problematic, if you talk about this from the standpoint of what Kelly is saying, and we'll follow up in a little bit with some of the stuff that Tim said, it feels like everyone was looking at everyone else being like, do you want to lead? Do you want to lead? Well, I can't lead. I'm hurt, and I'm gone, so I'm not the leader of the team. Well, what about you? Well, I'm not really a, a leader like that. I kind of lead by example, and I'm setting forth an example. Why won't you follow it? Well, I think as we have this discussion, it's really important to bullet point the reasons why baseball leadership and this discussion of the soft stuff is different, fundamentally different than other sports. Agreed. And it's easy to understand why. And there, there's a lot to this. And you know that I'm not as as comfortable as some talking about this stuff you the can't, soft stuff. They can't measure. Yeah. Just it's not it's not my milieu, but that's what we're talking about. So good word. Ha- having having been around baseball teams, having been in major league dugouts, minor league dugouts, and clubhouses. Here's a fact. You can't play baseball harder like you can other sports. You can concentrate, you can be attentive, you can be responsible, but it's not an effort sport. You can't you you can't immediately translate your desire to be better always into something physical like you can in basketball, hockey, or football. Also, baseball teams are weird because of the divided responsibilities and because of the specification of jobs where pitchers are a different culture on a team than position players are. They're In all, a lot of cases, they're separated. Literally separated, figuratively separated. They do a different job. In major league clubhouses, too, in professional clubhouses, you often have cultural barriers and language barriers that require multiple leaders of different factionalized groups. That's just a fact. And even even teams that are united, even teams that are on the same page, or to use the words of Jose Abreu, a family, and they're able to overcome those things and unite those things, that's usually because of a manager and or a front office that sets that tone from the top. Even on teams where English is the pre- pre- the dominant language, there there can also be that. Like Cali I think is the one that ter- that termed the this necky that there was a element of Goodness. White Sox clubhouse that was a little necky. And it was the guys that were the bow hunters and stuff. And they were kind of in their own little corner of the clubhouse. So there's that too. Like even even if we're talking about American ball players, that can happen. Mm -hmm. Even within the subgroup, sure. Not to mention Japanese or Korean players. Or black American players being in the clubhouse. Because it's not like... 
him had a lot of people to commiserate with in that regard. So on the one hand, here's Abreu, Pito, leader, Drake LaRoche, where, where, where. <laughs> That's what it, they need, it, Dan. Classic White Sox, right? Where Necky, where the where the leader putatively says we weren't a family. He said it. I think the best way I can put it is that we weren't a real family. That's what he said to Daryl Van Scowen via an interpreter. Greenberg. It was Steve Greenberg. Steve Greenberg, excuse me. Yeah, Steve Greenberg's piece. By the way, I was extremely disappointed with some of the reaction that I saw from White Sox fans after that. Because a lot of them were like, oh, he, why didn't he do better? And like, I mean, just, just going number two on the last MVP that the White Sox have had, one of the best ball players that this team has seen over the last decade. And and people just kind of like turn their back on him for the laundry. And the laundry ain't been loyal. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like the, the, this this laundry hasn't paid off. So I, I, I'm, I was like, wow, like seeing some of the reactions, whether it was, you know, inside of uh, the, the Van Scowen uh, retweeting Greenberg, seeing uh, Josh... Socks machine. Josh tweet about it and seeing the reaction that that Abreu got for telling his truths was uh, it was upsetting to me to say the least. Because and I get I get the people that want to compartmentalize and say, all right, that's the past. We're focused on the future. That's something that they can say. That's not something that you can say as a fan. And you may think that you have the whole picture of what the dysfunction was over the last two seasons that hasn't allowed for them to 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 get to where we think they can go. But there's still a forensic accounting of that. And guess what? The team's doing it. The players on the team are still talking about it in the hopes that they can not make the same mistakes again. So here's Tim Anderson according to the Sun-Times, cool with what Jose Abreu said. He agrees with Abreu, who said the White Sox were not a family last year. That's true, said Anderson. That's why we're trying to build a togetherness. There's still love, talking about Abreu. So what works for you. Last year didn't work for him. We have to find that togetherness. This spring has been good. Now, well, there there is some danger in it, and it's a small thing, but it, it needs to be noted. In a with the White Sox in a position to try and build some of this family aspect to their team, I feel like the WBC hurts a little bit. Sure, because they're in adverse positions on other teams. And and they're in basically training camps away from their teammates. And it's good for baseball, and I think it's good for guys meeting with their peers from their country, their countrymen who play the game. I think it's overall a good thing for baseball, but specifically for the White Sox this year as you're trying to build some of that stuff. Bad timing. It's bad timing. It's bad timing for, for it to be this year when they're trying to accomplish this. But what what is striking to me is, and I, I always have the, my North Star with, with the White Sox, as you know, is who's in charge. Up top, at the middle level, and now when we start talking about the clubhouse, here's your ostensible leader, at least according to the Spanish-speaking players. 
saying, yeah, we, this, this team's way better. I don't know what's going on with that last team. And now you have a leader of your English-speaking position players saying, oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's absolutely right. He's completely right. He's right. And among the pitchers, one of your leaders is out getting cancer treatment right now. He's still there, though. Like, he, he comes he, and plays long it, toss. It's not the same. Agreed. But same. at least he's still there, and I'm, that's I'm, that, I'm, that's. I feel like that's an encouraging sign, I'm, and I'm, I'm hopeful for Liam. Of course, but I don't know who this team's leaders are. I know I know Lance Lynn likes. He's a good quote, and I know he's he's expressive on the mound. Lucas Giolito, I know, is bright and thoughtful and self aware. I think it's Elvis Andrews. It's a, but th- that's what's amazing. Is, Outsider. Is, is this uh, this guy you waited <laughs> until the very end of free agency to bring in as your bargain second baseman? That's your clubhouse? I'm, I'm serious. I, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. But uh, all it is is this: what we are asking, what we are putting out with this team, whether they meant to or not, by their own nebulousness of leadership at every level, they are asking Pedro Griffal to be a magic bullet. They are. They they are asking Pedro Griffal to fix a lot of things. He's never managed, He's, and they're asking him to be a. And, and that's why I keep saying I'm hopeful that this is. But they've made his job way bigger than it should be. But but if I can offer this in the way of of them maybe making the job a little easier. There isn't going to be the same level of pushback, even if that pushback is indirect, that there was between the dugout and the front office. We know, we know, we know that the front office made suggestions to the previous manager. And the previous manager was like, oh, okay. And basically threw all that stuff in the garbage and did the things that he wanted to do. This manager is more likely to be in stride with the front office than the previous manager was. So in in that way, if Pedro Grafol is saying, this is the way that we do drills now, he's got backing from the front office. So if players are like, oh, you know, this is not the way we did it. Well, guess what? This is the way we're doing it. Now, this is how we're doing it. This is how we do it. Did you get that reference? Montel Jordan. There you go. All they said was 680 stood. Um, so that's what I think is a little bit different is Pedro Gafol and Rick Hahn are working collectively instead of Rick Hahn kind of having to be like, how do I work around some of the limitations of the manager who's in charge of the team? But meanwhile, as Rick Hahn and Pedro Griffol are doing this, Jerry Reinsdorf is bringing in Bob Nightingale to try to rehabilitate the image of Tony La Russa. So that's going on. Right. And this is these are the thoughts of uh, Bill on Capitol Hill, who says, amazing, Jerry Reinsdorf. The game he revolutionized having passed him by will settle for spending his last years managing his old grudges, settling his old scores. The citizen cane of baseball. The old, it's the old line about generals always fighting the last war. Here's Reinsdorf sending his stenographer 
so we can all see how right he was to hire that drooling bigot. And the problem with Pito's line is the White Sox absolutely were a family. The Mansons were a family, too. And don't you don't get to say you're focused on the damn future if you're sending in Bob Nightingale to try to clean up your last hire. And, and what is weird about it is the timing of it, and it's hard to not it's hard to not accuse the White Sox of stuff because of how they do things. All we've heard, all we've heard from reports down in Camelback Ranch is, man, this thing is crisp. The players are responding to it. They are being held accountable. They are working on fundamentals. Grafol seems to have a really good idea of how to structure preparing a baseball team. They're outside of the Clevenger stuff. There, there hasn't been, and I oh, know, yeah. I know that's doing a lot of work. <laughs> oh yeah, the Clevenger stuff. Outside of that, you haven't heard anything like really bad about everything. Has been man, look at what Pedro Grafol is doing. And then right, but then, but then your owner calls in WW Beauchamp to come in and, and and write about the house that Little Bill's building. Dan, that's my point. That when you do have something good. You've got something good that's going on. You've got people being like, you know what? I'm willing to give Pedro Grifol a chance. I, I, I like the cut of his jib. Well, look who's here. And by exactly. the way, let's watch. So, so they're doing it. Who's in charge? Who's in charge? Where maybe, maybe an owner might think, not the best time for this. Right. No, it does. It doesn't need to be. It really doesn't. Just let him go. You don't need to bring any of it back up into the public discussion. Let him go. Let him go. Get himself healthy. That's all. Hey, I, I'm again. I'm okay with if Tony wants to hang out at the ballpark, as if it's a way that it allows for his treatment to be an easier thing for him to do. Having a place to go is important for anyone, for older people, and for anyone who's going through some stuff. I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with the retcon of his his managerial career with the White Sox. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.